Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to New Books in Sociology. I'm Felipe Santos, and today I'll be talking to Lorenzo Zamponi from the Escuela Normale Superiore in Florence about his new book, recently published with Palgrave, Social Movements, Memory and Media, Narrative in Action in the Italian and Spanish Student Movements. Benvenuto la New Books Network, Lorenzo. Thanks, thanks. It's very nice to be here with you, Felipe. Um, so I would like to start the, the interview asking uh, a bit about yourself. So what are you now? What have you been doing so far? Yes, uh, well, I'm a postdoctoral research fellow at the Department of Social and Political uh, Sciences here at the Scuola Normale Superiore in Florence. And I'm part of the research team of COSMOS, the Center on Social Movement Studies, which is directed by Donatella della Porta here uh, in the Scuola Normale. I've been, uh, the, this book is the outcome of the research I conducted during my PhD on the relationship between memory and movements, while in the last few years I've been focusing on different issues and in particular on the uh, collective responses to the economic crisis from anti-austerity protests to solidarity action to direct social action and this is what I'm focusing now, the non-protest basis responses in a context of economic crisis. I, I must say that um, I found the, the idea of your book um, very interesting because I, I believe that you have kind of opened a conversation between, between two disciplines that didn't have uh, much lines of connection so far, which is uh, memory studies and, and social movement studies. But also then you, you touch upon uh, many topics related to, to the social movement disciplines, which are very relevant, such as... Uh, social movement continuity, uh, strategic uh, choices of social movements, uh, and so on. So I was wondering, how, how did you come to the idea of uh, writing this book? Well, I came uh, from this based on my previous research because actually when I was doing my master thesis, uh, I, was, I worked a lot on collective memory, okay, and mostly related to media studies and how uh, memory is represented and reproduced in the media, etc. But I was a bit unsatisfied because in that strand, there isn't a lot of attention on actors, okay, on the people who are actually reproducing memory, who are engaged in mnemonic processes. And then I chose one peculiar set of actors, which are social movements, because this allowed me to look a bit at agency in memory uh, reproduction. And yes, what I try to do is exactly what you said, to bridge memory studies and social movement studies. And I think it's a quite uh, interesting uh, interaction between these two fields. Mm -hmm. And then um, I was wondering, why why have you selected precisely uh, the student movement uh, to look into this... Uh relation between memory studies and, and social movement studies? Yes, well, I, I actually didn't decide it in the beginning. It took me some time, but at a certain point I realized that the student movement was the only movement that uh, even being dishomogeneous and ever-changing in time and so on, 
uh, allows us to see a presence of it at different stages in history. No? I was particularly interested on the outcome, uh, the outcomes of the mobilization of the 60s and 70s on contemporary mobilization. And the real significant element of continuity here is the protagonism of students. Okay, You can always see uh, student mobilization in universities at different stages in history. So this allowed me okay, to, to engage in this kind of comparison between past and present that I was interested in. Also, the student movement has peculiar characteristic. Usually, it's, it lacks formal uh, organizations, and there is a quick turnover of uh, activists for obvious reasons, because being a student is uh, an ephemeral and temporary um, phase of, uh, of a person's life. And so this was kind of an extreme case, okay, in the sense that if we can find some trace of memory, even in the context of student movement, this means that memory really matters. Mm-hmm. And then why, why did you decide to focus in, uh, in Italy and Spain? Because as you were saying during the, during the mobilization of the 68, there were two very different mm-hmm. uh, mobilizations and also kind of political contexts in each country, right? Yes, definitely. Um, but that was what made it interesting, okay? The fact that uh, the political background of Italy in the 60s and 70s, what's been called the era of collective action, massive political participation, progressive reforms, and so on, is very different to the context of uh, Franco East Spain under the dictatorship and then the transition to democracy and so on. But I was actually interested in seeing whether there are some common processes, even in very different contexts. Also, um, these are events that are really understudied in the Spanish context, okay? And at a certain point, talking about the 60s and 70s in Germany or France is almost banal. (laughs) While Spain is a very understudied case, but from my point of view, very fascinating. And I believe that then, I mean, it was very different uh, in the moment of, of the 68 mobilizations, but then they were kind of uh, similar in the moment that you were studying, right? Which were, uh, I believe, uh, the mobilizations, uh, the, the well, the 2008 mobilizations against uh, the Bologna process, which consisted yeah. on the kind of like uh, adaptation of the national uh, higher education systems to the European level area, right? Definitely. The mobilization 2008-2011 in both countries have very similar traits, not completely coincident, obviously different uh, evolution and developments of the cycle of protest, but definitely there is a, a common, a shared anti-neoliberal uh, uh, core component of this mobilization, and that made it particularly interesting to, to analyze together, also because, as you said, this happens in a context of convergence between uh, uh, different uh, educational systems across Europe. So obviously there is a common element there. And then when you when you speak about uh, memory, you approach it in a way that might be uh, kind of like new for, for many people uh, that listen to our podcast, that you, you speak about memory as a social construction, and then you also make this difference between memory as a practice and memory as an object. So I was hoping that you could explain us a bit what you meant by these three concepts uh, so we could also dig deeper into the book. Yes, no, definitely. This is something that's been an object of uh, memory studies for for a long time. 
And memory studies is not a discipline, okay? It's still a set of different fields of study. It's a, a field that's been developing, but with a lot of different things inside, okay? Literary studies, cultural studies, history, sociology, and so on. And the more sociological component of memory studies, uh, so the tradition of Maurice Alvax, uh, Paolo Jelowski, Jeffrey Olick, and so on and so forth, have been developing quite a lot on this double nature of memory. Memory is what we remember, but is also the process of remembering it. And thus it is both an object, a thing, okay, we remember something, but the practice and the practice through which we remember it, okay? And from my point of view, this is very interesting because uh, when we focus on memory, several times we tend to focus on uh, uh, the products, the objects of memory, okay? a song, an idea, a concept, a film, a certain representation on the past, and we rarely focus on the practice through which we remember it, what are the things that make us appropriate this, uh, this past. And the relationship between these and trying to disentangle uh, uh, these two concepts, with two concepts who are part really of the same phenomenon, because it's still memory with a dual nature, I think it helps us understand a bit more than we used to how memory works. And in this uh, memory as a practice and also understanding memory as a social construction, um, you speak basically about two uh, very important actors for your book that are uh, basically the mainstream, the mainstream media and social movements. So how do these two actors uh, contribute to this uh, um, practice of remembering? Yeah, well, from, from my point of view, the, the actors I was interested in are social movement, especially social movement, act, social movement activists in the context of a cycle of protest. How do they relate with the past? Which representation of the past uh, are they reproducing, are they accessing, and are they uh, facing in their day-to-day -day strategic choices? And... What it came very clear during the research is that commemoration, the practice of remembering, takes place in two different forums, two different uh, arenas of public discourse. On the one hand, uh, the mass media, okay, and thus every one of us is every day exposed to a series of films uh, and TV shows and books and representation in newspapers and so on and so forth. But there is also another component, another of what I call the repositories of memory, which is movement culture. The fact that uh, the people who are activists in a context of collective action, they participate to um, social group, okay, are reproducing a certain culture, are exposed to a different set of sources, square squatted rooms in universities, uh, underground uh, press, uh, and stories told by older activists, and so on and so forth. There is another forum, which is another mnemonic community, another context in which um, the representation of the past is developed and reproduced. And obviously, these two repositories are reciprocally permeable. It's not like activists are completely separate from the world and they live only inside movement culture. The same activists who live inside a movement community still watch TV, okay? And thus, these 
these repositories are reciprocally permeable. And there is also the possibility that movement culture makes it into the mainstream media. Okay, and there are very you know, there are several cases of it. And yeah, I was particularly interested in looking how these different worlds interact. And then um, moving a bit to the to the two cases you selected, so we can also uh, have a clear picture of, of uh, this whole uh, theory that you have developed. Um, so can you speak me a bit uh, about how was, uh, starting for the Italian case, for example, how was the Italian uh, Lawn 68 uh, represented in uh, the mainstream media? Well, what's really clear is that this idea of the Lawn 68, no? especially in the Italian case, there is this idea of a dead decade-long cycle of protest since the 1968, 1967 even, and to the end of the 1970s and the symbolic year of 1978 with the Moro case in particular. This decade-long mobilization usually is represented in the, uh, uh, around two main narratives, okay? What I call the 268s. The narrative of 1968 counterculture, so everything which is connected with uh, um, generational change, innovation, social liberation, and so on and so forth, and 1968 struggle, so everything which is connected with the more politicized elements, with ideology, with sectarian groups, and at the end of the day with political violence, okay, mm -hmm. in the public sphere. And there is a clear polarization uh, around these two narratives, on the two 1968, okay, and it's very clear that as with the time uh, passing by, um, 1968 counterculture ends up eating up 1968 struggle and everything which is not individual uh, innovation and generational change ends up being uh, uh, absorbed uh, in the narrative of the years of lead, in the narrative of terrorism, in the narratives of uh, political violence. This is a very clear phenomenon. And then uh, when you focus on, uh, on uh, different episodes of uh, the student mobilization, um, you pay particular uh, attention to two of them, right? So uh, the one of uh, Bale Giulia and the one of uh, Casa di Lama. So can you speak me a bit uh, about them? Yeah, definitely. I chose in both cases two symbolic events, okay, to uh, in order to trace, to reconstruct the representation in the media and to use them as representatives of the representation of uh, uh, the 60s and 70s student mobilization in general. In the Italian case, I focused on the so-called Battle of Valle Giulia that took place in Rome on the 1st of March of 1968. This is in the middle of the student movement of uh, 1968. The students uh, in the University of Rome had occupied the Faculty of Architecture. They had been evicted by the police, but on the 1st of March, they attacked the police with stones, okay, in the attempt to take back the, um, the faculty. And it's the first uh, strongly contentious and confrontational moment Uh, in the history of 1968, it's been portrayed in tens of thousands of uh, different songs, films, and so on. And while the, the chase of Lama uh, took place in Rome on the 17th of February of 1977, Luciano Lama was the Secretary General of the GGIL, the most important workers' union in Italy, and also a member of the parliament for the Communist Party. 
and uh, he gave a speech inside the University of Rome during a student occupation in which he basically urged students to stop the occupation and go home. And he was violently attacked by a part of the students, those most identifying with the uh, at then uh, and at the beginning <laughs> autonomous tradition. Okay, and this is also a big break inside the history of the Italian radical left and so on. And these are obviously two very different uh, events, but I think the tracing the representation it's really interesting. Okay, you know how the narratives of the years of lead, the narrative of violence and so on has been growing in time. Mm-hmm. And then when we uh, take a look to uh, how the, the Spanish uh, mobilizations related to 68 are portrayed, it's uh, quite different the way they are portrayed, isn't it? Definitely. I chose there two different events. First, the famous Capuchinada, so the secret assembly that took place in a convent in uh, Barcelona on the 9th of March on 1966 uh, with a goal to start uh, um, a clandestine student union as a democratic counterpart to the official Francoist student union sponsored by the dictatorship, and then the death of Enrique Ruano, a young student activist who um, fell from a window uh, during uh, an interrogation with the police in Madrid on the 20th of January of 1969. Now, these are two symbolic events and their representation in the media shows really clearly uh, how the prevalent narrative in the Spanish case is the narrative of anti-Francoism. In this case, these events are not related in the representation in the media to student mobilization, student protest, but to the student opposition to the dictatorship as part of the process of uh, democratization. And for years and years and years, the idea of a Spanish 1968, the idea of a wave of student protest uh, is almost completely hidden, okay, because of the fact that the whole narrative is the one of the transition to democracy, while more recently there is a partial tendency to a 68-ization, okay, of these, these stories. More and more, they tend to be, well, first of all, they are most, more frequently mentioned, because obviously they idea of recognizing social movement agency in the transition was not popular until a few years ago. And they are not only more present, but more told as occurrences of a Spanish 1968, which also changes a bit the narrative, okay, and makes the traits of what I called earlier 1968 counterculture. So these most like generational change, sexual liberation, individual innovation traits, uh, more and more present uh, also in the Spanish press. And then you also uh, discuss in both cases uh, that um, there are different also connotations when one approaches uh, these different movements such like as a, as a struggle or as a counterculture, right? So you were speaking about uh, how the interpretation of this movement as counterculture also kind of uh, voids them for a certain political meaning. Uh, do you think that this is the, uh, the case for both? So So like one, like presenting uh, the long 68 of uh, Italy as counterculture and the other one of uh, presenting uh, the Spanish movement, uh, not as an anti-Francoist movement, but also part of this uh, international wave of mobilizations. Uh, Well, I think that, yeah, it's present in different ways in both, although in Spain it's very recent and still very limited. Okay, so way less. 
than in the Italian cases, presence in both cases. The problem is not the fact of underlining the countercultural components of 1968, which are obviously existing, obviously very relevant, not only for social movement, but for society in general. From my point of view, the most important thing is that it's very visible the use of these countercultural traits in the attempt to depoliticize a certain memory of the past, and this is very clear in both cases. And also what's particularly interesting is the separation of these two elements, like these were completely different phenomenons. Okay, this is very clear, for example, in the in the Italian case, there are hundreds of articles that tell the same story. In the beginning, it was all a nice, peaceful protest about a whole generation wanted to change the world, but then it ended up being ideological and sectarian and violent, okay? Someone somewhat distorted it. And from my point of view, this is an attempt really to reduce the irreducible complexity, okay, of a social movement that in both cases had inside both elements, okay, those of political struggle and those of counterculture. And I think, and I really think that the attempts to separate them and to play one against the other does not make justice uh, uh, to to the movements, but also from my point of view, it's not uh, the most important thing is not to judge, okay, how distorted is memory because every memory is social constructed and thus it is distorted. But the thing is that what's interesting is how these processes take place, okay, why this happens, in which way, which actors are uh, involved, uh, what is the role of the media as the most important forum, and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. And then, um, when you were trying to uh, understand how these events that you have uh, talked to us now uh, were remembered by uh, by current activists, you made quite a lot of interviews to to both uh, Spanish and Italian activists uh, to to know how they remember these uh, these episodes. So, how how did the the Italian current student activist uh, talk or and remember uh, the events of the 68? Well, um, for what regards uh, Italian activists, they have in their mind a very canonized image, okay? Everybody, when I, when I asked the same questions to, to everybody, which was, uh, uh, can you tell me some antecedents, some previous cases of student mobilization in your country? All Italians answered in the same way. Well, obviously, there is 1968, and then everything that came after that. So there is a very canonized uh, and homogeneous way of, um, of remembering a certain past with a very strong role of, uh, of the media, okay? It's very clear that these representations are very similar to the ones that I had seen in the media, so the polarization between counterculture and struggle, and so on and so forth. Um, while in the Spanish case it was a bit different, there is a there is an absence of a clear canon. Okay, it's very hard uh, for people to think about antecedents of um, the current student uh, mobilization. Some of them talked about. Uh, the protest of the 60s and 70s, but always with the level of the student opposition to Franco, okay? The idea of the struggle against the dictatorship and as something very far away in time, and that wasn't really a student mobilization, but mostly about uh, getting rid of the dictatorship, okay? Far less homogeneous 
it depends a lot. The way in which they see it depends a lot from the political group and so on. And my impression is that in Spain, since there is a, a smaller presence of these memories of the student past in the media, then student activists tend to rely much more on movement culture. And this obviously makes the narrative less homogeneous because movement cultures are plural. Okay, There are several political traditions and, uh, and so on. So definitely my impression is that um, in the Spanish case, the smaller presence of these, uh, um, of these, the, the limited availability of mnemonic material, okay, also different role of mnemonic agents and so on, and also the hegemony of the narrative of the peaceful transition makes a lot more difficult for students to have this image. On the other hand, for the Italian activists, it's a quite uh, and heavy past, okay, and that they sometimes suffer, okay. And then um, you also speak about how uh, memory uh, affects the strategic choices of uh, of social movements. So how do you see this uh, situation with uh, the cases that you have focused on in the book? Yeah, I try to focus a lot on uh, what I call the pragmatics of memory because from my point of view, this is uh, one of the most uh, interesting and least analyzed uh, fields, okay, in memory studies. It's very rare that people investigate on how is memory used, what is the role of memory in action, okay, and, and that was particularly interesting for me to study. And my my attempt was those to have um, was that of having a non-deterministic notion of um, the relationship between memory and strategy, and trying to avoid saying that a certain memory of the past generates a certain strategic choice. Okay, but looking more at strategic dilemmas, and my impression that the presence of a certain memory either in explicit or in implicit terms, or memory as a resource or as a constraint, poses activists in front of uh, strategic dilemmas, okay? And then it's up to their agency to choice. Um, what I found is that definitely there are attempts of appropriation, okay, of the past as a resource, but it's very common also that memories act as constraints, okay? The way in which the symbolic environment in which activists uh, carry on their day-to-day -day activities has been evolving in times, uh, influence the way in which activists uh, think and act. And here there is also a very clear difference in the sense that, uh, on the one hand, activists in the Spanish context, uh, since there is less uh, memory of the past in the mainstream media, are somewhat more free, okay? They're freer, they are less constrained by the past, while Italian activists tend to be uh, more strongly constrained, okay, by the memory of the past, by certain political traditions, and so on. On the other hand, for the... Um, for Spanish activists, there might be really an opportunity in trying and really an, un, uh, an unexplored opportunity in uh, trying to appropriate certain memories of the past because the connection between the student movements of the past and the struggle for the democracy gives this uh, student movement a lot of legitimacy. Okay, nobody can challenge 
the memory of the people thanks to whom there is now a democracy in Spain, okay? These are untouchable martyrs, and this is really an untapped potential for student activists. On the other hand, it's easier to appropriate the past for uh, Italian activists, although many times they decide not to because it's a heavy past and it's a past that many times uh, really works more, more as a constraint than uh, as a resource, especially if you're thinking about uh, the connection between the 1970s and terrorism and political violence in the Italian public discourse. So you're kind of, in, kind of implying here that um, even uh, though memory is, uh, is socially constructed, it is true that uh, the, let's call it like ne- mnemonic strategic choices uh, done in the past, they they weighed a certain uh, path dependency for the capacity to remember and the things that uh, can be remembered for for social movements of the present. Definitely there is a path dependency, which does not mean that there is a, a deterministic uh, connection between the two elements, but definitely there is a, a path dependency. It, it, it's really up to activists every day to, to make their choices and to decide whether to appropriate a certain memory of the past or to refuse it, whether to replicate or to disobey them, and so on. Uh, but these uh, dilemmas take place in a context which is symbolically structured uh, by the past, sure, and by the way the past is constructed and represented. Activists carry on their day-to-day activity inside okay, certain material structures, inside the rooms that have been occupied by previous collective in the past, and this obviously plays a role in them, or decide whether or not to have an assembly in the context of university regulation that have been changed thanks to a previous mobilization in the past, and so on, or they decide to use more or less confrontational tactics to engage uh, more or less in more violent activities, also depending the fact that certain tactics have a certain resonance, have a certain memory in a specific context. And uh, from, I mean, the very uh, dense and important research that you've done uh, in this book, um, which would be the main uh, two or three takeaways that uh, you think that we should uh, have from uh, from this interview and from the book? It is really hard, <laughs> but yeah, I think that uh, definitely uh, there is the idea that uh, memory is socially constructed, but it's not artificial, okay? The fact that memory is socially constructed does not mean that memory is completely arbitrary, okay? And that people can play with it without any limits. There are limits, there are path dependencies, and so on. Definitely the fact that movement areas act as mnemonic communities, okay? And this is really important from my point of view in the study of social movement continuities. The fact that uh, movement areas, the context uh, uh, in which social movement actors are still active outside a uh, phase of mobilization in the phases of latency, okay, still are active in reproducing certain ideas of the past. And definitely the fact that memory contributes in structure in the field, imposing strategic dilemmas, okay, and these have, this really has also a big impact on identity, okay, because the identity work, the way in which uh, social movements reflect about their collective identities implies memory work, okay, and for in any 
wave of collective action, there is an element of innovation, but innovation has a cost. And this cost is to work on your identity, to work on your past, to try and downplay it in order to make innovation possible. And we know because everybody that studies social movements knows that uh, innovation is rare, okay, that the repertoire of contention is more or less the same uh, since the French Revolution, but innovation does happen. And definitely looking at how the, the different activists relate with the past, it's a good way also to understand innovation. Mm -hmm. And then once once you you have finished this uh, this book, um, what are you currently working on? Um, well, I've been working now a few years uh, on this idea of the collective responses to the economic crisis, especially together with a colleague of mine, Lorenzo Bosi. We've been working a lot on what we call direct social action. So all the non-protest-based forms of action, okay, the idea of forms of action that attempt to have an immediate uh, impact on reality uh, without a state uh, mediation, so occupations, but also political consumerism, solidarity action, and so on and so forth. And we are really interested into that, and we're, we've been writing uh, different uh, different publications on these and this is really interesting and also now i'm engaged in a in a project with other colleagues here at the scuola normale superiore on grassroots visions of europe okay on the way in which different grassroots activists social movements organizations groups collectives look at europe at european integration at the eu to try and see whether the economic crisis has had an impact on these visions of Europe. Mm -hmm. And uh, finally, the last uh, question of the interview, um, which uh, new books have you been uh, reading recently or which ones would you recommend to our listeners? Well, actually, I'm not sure I recommend it because I just started reading it, so <laughs> I'm not sure how good it is. But the book I started reading a couple of days ago, it's a book called Memes in Digital Culture uh, by Limor Schiffman, okay, from the uh, MIT Press, and because I'm really interested in digital culture, and I think that for those like me who are interested in the cultural elements of collective action, I think that it's really important to take a look at digital culture and to try and see whether the elements, the processes, the phenomenons we usually study and investigate in uh, offline activities change or or take place in different ways in online activities. And this, from my point of view, it's a real crucial element for uh, for social movement mm -hmm. studies. So, well, Lorenzo, uh, thank you very much for being today with us in the New Books in Sociology. Um, today, we've been uh, talking to Lorenzo Zamponi from the Escuela Normale Superiore about his last book, Social Movements, Memory and Media, Narrative in Action in the Italian and Spanish Student Movements, uh, recently published with uh, Palgrave. So thank you so much for your time, Lorenzo. Well, thank you, Felipe. It was a very nice experience. Bye.